nominees for Best Picture of the Year are Forrest Gump, Wendy Feinerman, Steve Tisch, Steve Stocky, producers. Four Weddings and a Funeral, Duncan Kenworthy, producer. Pulp Fiction, Lawrence Bender, producer. Quiz Show, Robert Redford, Michael Jacobs, Julian Cranin, Michael Nozick, producers. The Shawshank Redemption, Nicky Marvin, producer. And the Oscar goes to $64,000 for a question. I hope they're asking you the meaning of life. Welcome to the Pool Scene Podcast. It's the Season 9 premiere, or as my favorite pool decor used to say, welcome to our ool. Notice there's no P in it. Let's keep it that way. That... <laughs> That doesn't really apply here unless someone's <laughs> planning on urinating in the studio. God, I hope not. No, I, nobody's better be pissing in here. As we've done for the past few seasons, we are kicking off season nine with a 1994 Best Picture nominee from the 67th Academy Awards, which happened in 1995. Those films were Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, and this week we are covering quiz show first the pool scene podcast is hosted by two men who are good at trivia and filled with a lot of probably useless knowledge i'm kevin i'm joined by my co-host jim hello kevin jack berry jack did a berry. Good, good job casting jack berry with uh, shooter C mcgavin christopher mcdonald was tremendous as jack berry quiz show again is from 1994 directed by robert redford redford definitely known more as an actor over the past seven decades isn't that crazy 60s through present jesus i don't think i don't know if he's acted this decade but yeah crazy quiz show is based on true events revolving around a television game show scandal in the late 50s but artistic liberties were taken for the sake of controversy for example the events of the film take place condensed into one year when in actuality it was over three years also in real life the investigation into van doren and the show did not take place until after his final appearance we might get into that more as we discuss scenes and logic there's a lot of like small differences oh there is yes the odd thing about covering quiz show is that it's based on true events and i think this is the first time we've done this yes this is the first time we've covered a true life event for once this will be something different for us so we're obviously covering the movie but we also have to provide context behind the events and the thing to remember as we discuss this is that this took place in a time when people believed and trusted everything they saw on television and relied on it. Yes. And there was also a red scare, for God's right. sake. McCarthy hearings. So this shook people to their core. But basically, the producers were just doing something that's done on nearly every show now especially on competition shows and reality television. Close your ears if you don't want to hear this, but producers often decide who wins a show before any competition takes place. Wait, 
What? Yes. No. Many, many television competition shows are shot over, like a whole season could be shot over one oh, day. You're lying. I know you're or lying. Or a couple days or even a week. Producers basically find an angle yep. and then decide who they want to win the show or what narrative hooks, Flavor of the week. hooks the audience. Now, these, as far as I know, were probably the first producers to do that. So in 1958, it was no different. They fixed the results of the show in order to tell the best story yeah so the tagline for quiz show was 50 million people watched but no one saw a thing pretty good yeah it's straight on i like it so jim let's find out how well that tagline worked with moviegoers give us the budget box office news and number ones at time of release for quiz show from wuab channel 43 where the news comes first this is the 10 o'clock news so Quiz Show came out September 14th, 1994. And if you all can remember, we kicked off season eight with Shawshank, which came out nine days later. So crazy year for movies. Had a $31 million budget, made $52 million at the box office. Considering we did the news a season ago about this month in 1994, we're going to do something different for you. So here is some amazing historic events that happened on September 14th throughout the years. In 1814, a little-known person, Kevin, I don't know if you've heard of this person, Francis Scott Key. Okay. F.S. Key. Yeah, one-hit wonder. That's right. Biggest, probably the first one-hit wonder ever. Francis Scott Key pens the poem, Defense of Fort McHenry, later known as the Star-Spangled Banner, while witnessing the bombardment of Fort McHenry from a ship in Baltimore Harbor. And rockets in the sky and a big monkey pie. Bunch of bombs in the air. Hey, it's Enrico Palazzo. 1936. If you have a headache, everybody, this is going to make it worse. The first prefrontal lobotomy in America performed by Walter Freeman and James W. Watts at George Washington University Hospital in Washington, D.C. Do we know how that went? Probably pretty damn bad. With an <laughs> ice pick into your eye socket. I, I just took the front half. I hope that's okay. Have you ever seen that done like on old videos? It'll make you sick to your stomach just to hear the sound. Of a skull being rattled by basically a flathead screwdriver. 1956, IBM introduces the Ramac 305, first commercial computer with a hard drive that uses magnetic disk storage. Presenting Ramac, random access method of accounting and control. Another business service of tomorrow made possible today by IBM. Companies have long dreamed of an accounting system capable in a single operation of recording transactions as they occur. Weighs over a ton. 64K. <laughs> Weighs over a ton. It's time to go to some birthdays. Just say it's your birthday. 1936, one of my favorite, Walter Koenig. You might know him as Pavel Chekhov from Star Trek, was born in Chicago in 1936. Friend of the show in 1968, Dan Cortez. Yes. <laughs> Was born. We all love Dan Cortez, MTV. I mean, for God's sakes. Dan Cortez. 
And the late, great Amy Winehouse was born on this day in 1983. And just a little side note here about the game show that we are covering about the movie quiz show 21. If you want to know who won the most in quiz show history in 1958, here's a name you don't hear anymore, Kevin. Elfrida Von Nardoff won $220,500 on the game show. More money than any other contestant on the show. And here's a little knowledge because Charles Van Dorn and Herb Stemple were so linked to one another. Charles Van Dorn died on April 9th, 2019. Herb Stemple died April 7th, 2020. So within a year of each other. Wow. They both passed on. And Kevin, that's all that was going on because it was the same that was going on before. So Dan Cortez, MTV personality, <laughs> rock and jock and all that. In 2008, he was in his last film, Soccer Mom, where he played world-famous Italian soccer player Lorenzo Vincenzo. <laughs> and he was on Veronica's Closet with Kirstie Alley. Yes. And in 2019, he hosted something called Beach Bake Battle. He was also in that episode of Seinfeld where he played... Tony. He was in uh, a show, Guinness World Records Gone Wild. Yes. So he's he's still out there. Yeah, the court. Dan, we need a Dan Cortez, Richard Grieco collab. 50 point shot. We still need to cover uh swim meet series on the Rock and Jump. Oh, those were the absolute best. Nothing is even come close to how great those were. All right, let's buzz into the plot. Geritol, America's number one tonic. Geritol, the fast-acting, high-potency tonic that helps you feel stronger, fast, presents the exciting quiz program, 21. Brought to you by NBC, the national broadcasting company, broadcasting nationally coast-to-coast, from New York to Los Angeles, from Seattle to St. Petersburg, via a vast network of affiliates crisscrossing the country. Coming up next, 21, starring Master of Ceremonies, Jack Barry. Two players racing to score 21 points. Each in a soundproof television studio, not knowing the other one's score. With $500 riding on each point. As they both play, 21. And here's your host, Jack Barry. Good evening. I'm Jack Barry. Our movie begins in 1958 as we see answers for television game show 21 transferred from a secure bank vault to the studio. 21's current reigning champion is Herb Stample. How are you, Herb? How's everything in Queens? Fine, Mr. Barry. It's a nervous strain in the family, I bet. How's your wife holding up? She's fine, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Barry, for asking. He's been winning for a while. What do we... Weeks, months. He has accumulated $69,500 before his battle with Charles Van Doren. However, the producers and the sponsor, Geritol, want a fresh face to replace Herb as the ratings have plateaued. They tell him he doesn't have the face for television. They say in the movie he has the face for radio. Yes, never a, a good thing to say about someone. When Charles Van Doren shows up to audition, the producers are impressed with his whole package. I got the guy. So I turned to astrophysics. But of course, as you know, all the great physicists were great before the age of 25. That just wasn't in the cards. So I went to Paris and wrote my novel about a patricide. What? 
a boy who kills his father. He's a good-looking Columbia professor who is a member of a prominent family. His dad's famous. His uncle's famous. His dad's a professor at Columbia. His mom's an author. His uncle is a poet. Yeah. Producers Dan Enright and Albert Friedman decide this is who they'd like to replace Herb Stemple with. Now, fascinating thing about Albert Friedman is he went on to work at Penthouse Magazine. Yes, he did. Van Doren was actually, they we don't they don't cover that in the movie. Uh, Van, <laughs> Very pro-Bush. Van, Van Doren was actually auditioning for a different show. So I understand you came down to try out for Tic-Tac-Toe. Well, my friends tell me I have a good mind for this sort of thing. They, they coaxed me. How'd you like to be on 21? 21? Dan produces both shows. You're young, you're clean cut, you're from a prominent family. Kids would run to do their homework to be like Charles Van Dorn. What about uh, Herbert Stemple? What about him? Herb? Oh, I, lo- I love him. <laughs> but we love Herbert. People don't like him. Kids don't look up to him. Yeah. Well, if you were a kid, would you want to be an annoying Jewish guy with a sidewall haircut? Well, I wanted to be Joe DiMaggio. But when the producers, they're like, this is our guy. Yes. This is who we want to replace Herb Stemple. And Dan Enright's production company oversaw like four or five game yes. shows, others. So they, they interview him and they tell him, okay, you can be on 21. And he's like, I'm a little intimidated by 21. They proposition to give him the questions. He declines. But then when he appears on the show again, Stemple, he's given a question that was asked at his audition. Yes. He thinks is a little fishy. Then we see the inverse of that as Stemple misses an easy question question that he knew the answer to allowing Van Doren to win over the next several weeks Van Doren becomes a national celebrity it's also during this time that Van Doren caves and allows the producers to start giving him the questions and answers at first he's towing this line of morality where he's like I'm still like a Columbia professor I have a very known big reputation and a family name but yes so then he he caves because he's like it's becoming very taxing so I don't have the time yes I will allow them to give me the questions and answers thinking maybe you shouldn't give me the answers anymore now what do you want to do that for professor charlie you're doing the right thing really everybody's making money well what if you just gave me the questions and i could look up the answers on my own i mean don't you think that'd be well be less egregious meanwhile herb stample is threatening legal action at the producers for not not following through on promises made to him Herb even goes to a district attorney who looks at the allegations with a grand jury. Yes. When congressional lawyer Dick Goodwin learns that the grand jury findings have been sealed, he finds it odd. You guys know there was a grand jury in New York on the quiz shows? Did they come up with anything? They sealed the presentment. That's a no. Now why do you say that? The presentment's a statement of findings. If there were anything in it, they want to release it to the public, right? If the purpose is to make findings public, then why keep it a secret? Why seal a presentment? It's illogical. It's a local matter. It's television. Whoa. TV. It's under our jurisdiction, right? I mean, we have oversight over all the agencies. It includes the FCC. You're going to investigate a dead investigation? We're going to put television on trial. Television. Everybody in the country will know about it. And he goes to New York to investigate. Part of a, what is it, a subcommittee? Oh, a subcommittee of legislative oversight for Congress. Which includes television regulation. Yeah, the game show. FCC. So based on evidence, Goodwin leans into the idea that 21 and other game shows are probably fixed. Stemple admits as much to Goodwin. Van Doren got the answers. Did not get the answers. If anything, he gave them the answers. I know he got the answers. Ah, bullshit. How do you know he got the answers? Because I got the answers. But Stemple 
is an unreliable source who doesn't really have credibility. However, Goodwin finds another former contestant that gives him a smoking gun. The smoking gun of smoking guns. That contestant mailed himself the questions via sealed registered mail. So smart. Two days before the show that he was on was recorded. And this actually is true, people. This actually happened. Van Doren, maybe feeling the heat of the investigation, but definitely feeling guilt, purposely takes a dive and loses. However, NBC puts him on the spot on air and makes him sign a contract to be a Today Show education correspondent for NBC. Keeping him under their thumb. Yes. At the congressional hearing, Stample is laughed at and all of the NBC execs and sponsors play the denial game. Yep. After being subpoenaed by Goodwin, Van Doren testifies and admits everything. In the end, Goodwin's entire mission fails. He wanted to bring down television, but the producers refused to implicate the network and took full responsibility in order to get their jobs back. Mm -hmm. So, quid pro quo. Stample and Van Doren end up being the only ones who, they look worse in the public eye. Horribly. The well, ne- more the network Van- survives. Van Doren's reputation got destroyed. Yeah, Van Doren, based on, I guess, his reputation, gets applauded for telling the truth. And so, then and that took a lot of courage. And then the one senator. The one guy's like, you shouldn't be applauded or celebrated for telling the truth exactly and everybody cheers so that's how our movie ends with uh, van doren waving to goodwin who feels as though he failed let's get into characters john Turturro is herb stemple he gained 25 pounds for the role and he trained how to mimic the real stemple's high-pitched voice rob morrow as richard and goodwin ray fines as charles van doren redford offered the real charles van doren one hundred thousand dollars to be a consultant on the movie which he declined they went to his house and pretended to be a lost cab driver why, why just you... so they could talk to him come on yeah william baldwin was considered but couldn't nail the correct combination of elements with harold becker directing richard dreyfus was considered as charles van doren i guess oh but here in a very fascinating twist going back to our discussion on the shawshank episode with steven soderbergh in talks to direct tim robbins starring as charles van doren that would have been interesting we've talked looks, about it i think maybe a little bit more like van doren than in real life yes than uh, ray fines yeah than ray fines so always tim robbins David Paymer as Dan Enright. You know him from a ton of stuff. Paul Schofield as Mark Van Doren. Hank Azaria as Albert Friedman, Mr. Penthouse Magazine. Christopher McDonald, Shooter McGavin as Jack Barry with Jack the Barry. Masters coming up. Uh, who else do we want to mention? We have a quick Ethan Hawke and Callista yes. Flockhart cameos in this movie. Mira Sorvino as Sandra Goodwin. Martin Scorsese as Martin Rittenholm. Yeah. Which he's great, but they cast him basically just because he looked so much like the dude. He I did. I love that scene to uh, preface a little bit. It's really good. His only scene. So which actor actress gives a passable performance? Does any non-lead character steal scenes? I would hope a lot of them do considering <laughs> this was a best picture nominee. It's tremendous. But like I told you when I was texting you as I was rewatching this again, it's John Turturro. I waited 29 years for this. Now I'm supposed to take a dive for the cause of education. I didn't say take a dive. Now I'm asking you for your help. Fine. Just let me play it honestly. And will you please give me a number? Down? Go ahead. Give me a number. Give me a number. Excuse me, sir. Give me a number, a, a, a random number. 
I don't know, 23? Beethoven was 23 when he composed his first piano sonata. In 1923, Jack Bentley set the record for average by a pitcher batting 427. There are 23 chromosomes in the human egg. Herb, I also, want... the human sperm. 23rd President Benjamin Harrison. Asian countries along the 23rd parallel of... Look, don't stop believing your own bullshit, all right? You wouldn't know the name of Paul Revere's horse if he took a crap on your lawn. She? What? He was a mayor. Remember. It's phenomenal. The fact that he was able to encapsulate, he was two different people like on the show and you find out later and there was a PBS documentary about Herb Stemple and the whole episode, Dan Enright fashioned Herb Stemple to look like he did on the air, like the glasses, the hair, the mannerisms, they kind of made him, they wanted him to be the underdog nerd Yeah, that was able to win everything. The whole idea was to make me appear like an ex-GI working his way through college. The reason I had been asked to put on this old, ill-fitting suit and get this marine-type haircut was to make me appear as what you would call today a nerd, a square. Well, it's a little question, a question to ask, and it sounds very, very rough what you do. Yeah, things are... Not so good, but... Uh, I was never to call the master of ceremonies Jack Barry Jack. I was always to call Mr. Barry and be very, very humble and very sheepish. It's just that then when he's at home with his wife, he's a different guy. He's much more commanding. He's much more assertive. They want me to take a dive. What? They're going to ask me what won the best picture for 1955, and I have to answer on the waterfront. They have to utz me with a question any child knows. How, how can they do that? I thought the questions were in a bank vault. They just put me in an isolation booth and pump cyanide into it. Herbie, they can't do that. How can they do that? Well, obviously, Toby, this particular question isn't in the bank vault. But on the air, he's just a wimp. Yeah. And he just likes to be taken advantage of, but he even says that's what they wanted me to so, be. So I don't know if we'll get into this. He specifically, Stample, took the money to fix the show, and he also received the answers in a reveal. They were relying on their in-laws for money. Yeah, and so, then he pissed all of the winnings away on a, bookie. When, on a bookie. Yeah. John Turturro has never really got his flowers. No, he as hasn't. As far as I know, I don't even think he's ever been nominated for an Academy Award. He's been nominated for Golden Globes. So he has such an amazing like body of work. He's been in like a ton of Coen Brothers movies, which are usually like award-based. Now, he never even got like a Best Supporting nod for this movie, did he? Not as far as I'm aware. Maybe a Golden Globe, we'd have to look at Ridiculous. I'll say Rob Morrow. Well, there's a problem, Charlie. I found another contestant, a man named James Snodgrass, and he says he got the answers too. You sure these people are telling the truth? He put all the questions in a sealed envelope and sent them to himself registered mail. That was two days before he appeared on the show. Doesn't prove anything. Hey, you don't have to be a genius to connect the dots. Well, don't connect them through me. Hey, don't treat me like I'm some member of your goddamn fan club. Are you telling me everybody got the answers but you? You're so persistent. You know, I really envy that. Was it just the money, Charlie? You'll forgive me, but anyone who thinks money is ever just money couldn't have much of it. Charlie, you want to insult me, fine, but you can't envy me at the same time. He, Excellent. as Richard N. Goodwin, now, to me, he was relatively, like, unknown because was on Northern Exposure, yep. which was a popular television show, and then... He did one movie previously with Johnny Depp in 85. And he wanted to be very selective about what project he took on. He took on a great one oh, because he took an excellent one. it was nominated for Best Picture, did not win, but he is fantastic. All right, let's move on to best scenes. Find out which scenes made a splash. Let's start right off the bat with you meet Charlie Van Doren in the office of Dan Enright. And you've seen Stemple. <laughs> Guy's unbeatable. Oh, I have to admit, uh, Tic Tac does seem more feasible. What if we were to put you on the show, put you on 21 and ask you questions that you know, say the questions that he answered correctly on the test this morning? Uh, I don't follow you. Just thinking out loud. 
Now, I thought the questions were in a bank vault. In a way, they are. You want to win, don't you? Well, I think I'd really rather try to beat him honestly. What's dishonest? When Gregory Peck parachutes behind enemy lines, you think that's really Gregory Peck? That book that Eisenhower wrote, a ghostwriter wrote it. Nobody cares. Yeah. It's not like we'd be giving you the answers. Just because we know you know, you still know. Right, it's not like you're putting me on the show or Al and pretending <laughs> to be some sort of intellectual. I mean, you have put in years of study and erudition. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine what uh, Kant would make of this. They're both grilling him, saying, you know, I want to be on tic-tac-toe. He finds it more, I guess you would say he finds it more appealing and more easy for him, but they just see his look. Yeah. And they want him on 21. He's and of the course, white bread all-American boy. He is. And they are kissing his ass. And it's his name. Oh, like, because they say I Van Doren. They're like, the Van Dorens. They were able to find out more about his family. And those two, Dan Enright and what's uh, Hank Azaria's character's name again? It's um, Albert Friedman. Those two are the perfect salesmen because Boy, did they let Van Doren compromise who he was to go right on the 21. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I know we're comparing a little bit, and you probably did a little bit more research into the real story, but it's like in the movie, it's literally the first time they meet him. Exactly. The first time they meet him, they're like, basically, how do you feel compromising your morals to, we want to fix the show for you to win? What didn't help, like doing like background research of Van Doren Unlike Herb, once everything came down on Van Doren and his reputation got shot, he really didn't do anything else. He didn't want to talk about it. He kind of became a pariah. Yeah. So it sucks not knowing from the horse's mouth what was, you know, the most accurate thing. When did he meet Dan Enright? When did he decide to compromise his soul? You don't know. I have the first time we meet Stemple when he's introduced on 21 and he's shilling for Geritol, the show sponsor. As you know, Herb, the questions are graded for difficulty by the Encyclopedia Britannica. I might add that my wife no longer suffers from tired blood now that I've got her on Geritol. That's fine. Graded on a scale from one to... personally vouch that it's a fine product. I'm sure our sponsor will be pleased to know that, Herb. Now, to get on with the show. I'd like to take this opportunity. Thank Geritol for giving a poor XGI this amazing opportunity to realize his dream of a college education. Now, there's a face for radio. Oh, it's horrible. He keeps interrupting... Jack Berry. Jack Berry, and it treats tired blood. Yeah. It treated my wife's tired blood. He just keeps interrupting to keep mentioning Geritol. <laughs> Christopher McDonald's face playing Jack Berry has the look of, hey, buddy, can you shut the fuck up, please? So that's when we see the show's producers calling each other, calling the sponsor, and discussing Stemple's viability on ratings, which it very much happens in like real time, exactly. whereas in real life, these would be closed-door meetings. They're up in the booth. They're getting a phone call from yeah. the NBC president and the head of Geritol. So as soon as you see all the phone calls and the urgency of getting Stemple off of the show they kill the fan slash air conditioner because these contestants are in an airtight booth because they cannot hear the other contestants yes. answers you kind of are competing against an opponent blindly yes because it's the first you wager how many points and it's the first the 20, to 21 yes in the whole 21 yes so they kill the fan slash air conditioner to his booth he's sweating ultimately they're trying outside forces to make him loose it's bad but smart tv it was ahead of its time they do that shit now yeah my next one is herb does not agree to sign the letter to remove nbc and enright from any indemnity yes. that he's gonna cause and yeah, they want him to sign a statement that should be me on the cover of time shit herb just sign the statement charles van doren he wouldn't know the answer to a doorbell if you didn't give it to him sign the statement and get on with your life sign the statement herb sign the statement who cares if it's true i'm giving you a chance you promised me 
You get me that panel show, or I'm gonna bring you down with me, you lousy lying prick. You and Charles Van fucking Doran. No, you're not. I'll just tell everyone that it's a fraud. That'll warm them up. The fix is in this week on 21. When's my next appointment? The cover of Time. His mugshot will be on the cover of Time. And Herb just goes, I want to be on one of those variety shows. I just want to be on a variety show. A panel show. show. A panel show, that's what. Yeah. And there's like, Herb, no, that's not going to happen. We'll pass your name down the line. And you find out later that there were... 49 names he was one of the three that were removed yeah. and that made him even more emboldened to fuck him even well, harder i love so I, I don't have this best scene but quick to mention is dick goodwin when he has enright nailed to rights or is this the greenwich village beatnik oh that's interesting now why is he a beatnik because he's not charlie van doren yeah you're damn right he's not charlie van doren you know, you got these crackpots coming out of the woodwork. You're snooping around asking questions. You don't have a shred of concrete evidence to... Dan, let me tell you something. In this envelope are all the questions that James Snodgrass was asked on 21, okay? The odd thing about this envelope is he appeared on the show on January 13th, if you recall, yet somehow he mailed this to himself January 11th, registered mail. I'd say that's pretty goddamn concrete, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah. He's got the smoking gun. And when en- they're sitting in the studio. Yeah, and Enright basically tells him how it's going to go. He's like, I'm going to keep my job. I'll never implicate the network. And Dick Goodwin's like questioning him. Well, why? Why won't you just mention the network? And he's because like, I'll get my job back or whatever. But when he at first realizes he's dead to rights, he says, I just had a thought. Would you be interested in your own panel show? Seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I'll get back to you on that, Dan. Would you like your own panel show? Yeah. (laughs) So that seems to be the ticket out. Be like, hey, I know you got us over a barrel. We'll give you your own TV. (laughs) We'll give you a panel show. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Herb takes a dive at the request of the producers and incorrectly answers. Best picture. On the waterfront. No, I'm sorry. The answer is Marty. After he said that he went to the movie theater three times to see Marty, he answers on the waterfront. We see like everyone in the movie say, Marty, Marty. We see people at home. We see people in the studio. Van Doren, after believing he was going to get a chance to play on the up and up, gets a recycled question from the interview to be on the show. So they ask him what for Van Doren, the boxing question. Yeah. Name the three heavyweight champions who preceded Joe Lewis. Oh, I know that. Uh, Jim Braddock. Mm Mm-hmm. Max Baer, and damn no. Primo Carnera. Primo Carnera, of course. Yeah, good old Primo. I was there that night at the garden. Night Bear beat him, yeah. Hey, the big guinea. 12 times Bear knocked him down. All right, for eight points, name the three heavyweight champions immediately preceding Joe Lewis. Well, my father would know that. (laughs) That'd be James J. Braddock. Correct. Max Bear lost the belt to Braddock. Yes, and the fellow Bear beat. Oh, no, I remember he knocked him down 12 times before he finally succumbed. Would you like to guess at it, Charlie? Yeah, Primo Carnera. Correct, you have 21! Yeah, he's getting recycled questions, so he kind of knows right then. They fixed it. Yeah. He took a dive. They gave me a recycle question. He struggles immediately after with morality. Like he's talking to himself and then literally says, oh my God, $20,000. Oh my God. I haven't worked trying to deserve $20,000. 
much is in here? My God, twenty thousand dollars. Like he he's just fine with it. Yeah. He struggles for a second and then he's like, twenty thousand dollars. My next one is it's kind of a, a very short scene, but it's Dick's wife, who's played by Mira Sorvino, who opens up his eyes to Charlie Van Doren. Mm-hmm. He got the answers. Now, why would he admit that? I mean, he's only implicating himself. Well, maybe it's the truth. Yeah, well, I have a hunch it is the truth. Well, meanwhile, we'll have to have him testify in a straitjacket. Van Doren isn't crazy. Maybe you should put him on the stand. What's Van Doren got to do with us? They gave Stemple the answers. Why would Van Doren be any different? Sandra, you have no idea what these people are like. It's all Thurber and drilling and, and Bunny Wilson, right? Bunny? Yeah, Edmund Wilson. That's what they call him. Well, that doesn't mean you have to. Look, my point is, why would a guy like that jeopardize everything he has? Which is what? Sandra, the man is on the cover of Time magazine. Well, he's not going to be on the cover of Time as Mark Van Doren's son, Dick. Dick somehow gets attached to Van Doren. Like, he... He wants to bring down everyone and exclude Van Doren. Except looks up to him in a way. He sees how respectable his family is. Like, he had that family dinner, which one of my best scenes is about that dinner. But he doesn't want to believe it. And his wife, he's like, well, if Herb Stemple did it, if all these other guys did it, why wouldn't Charlie Van Doren? And then you just see Dick just start watching quiz show more and more more and more yes and then it starts leading to the other guy who has the questions where jack barry ended up stumbling on an answer yeah, so that that leads to mine which is this snodgrass angle yes so dick is watching old episodes of 21 and he sees a contestant on the show james snodgrass answer a question correctly but jack barry initially without missing a beat tells him he's incorrect and then he's like whoa wait a minute he stumbles finally hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. That is uh, actually by one of my favorite poets, Emily Dickinson. I'm sorry, Jim. Did, did you say Emily Dickinson? Oh, well, yes. All right. Oh. Dickinson. I'm sorry, Jim. Did, did you say Emily Dickinson? Oh, well, yes. You can see that he's shocked or there's like sheer surprise that the answer was right because he says, no, that is incorrect. Wait, did you say whatever it was? And he's like, that is correct. He's surprised. So Dick goes to Snodgrass's apartment and I'm sure it didn't play out this way, but essentially James Snodgrass opens the door and is like, I knew this day would come. He knows exactly where to go. He's got the envelope. And he hands it to Dick. Was waiting for He's the government to show up. He's been waiting for that day. And he, again, he mailed himself the questions through registered mail two days before the corresponding episode. In real life, James Snodgrass was actually on the show after Charles Andor. Yeah, so they kind of exclude that. But it's... For drama effect. Yeah, for drama. It's, I it's love great. that part. He just goes and gives him the envelope and it's like, well, there it is. That is the, the proof. Got him. My next one is kind of a combination of two scenes, but in different parts of the movie. So as Charlie's going on this epic winning streak where he's racked up over $100,000 on the show, he just is having this crisis of confidence, this moral struggle. He is adored by all these kids that he teaches, but he has to come to groups with, I'm really a scumbag. I'm, yeah. a, I'm not a genuine article. And the more and more Dick gets closer, the more and more scared he gets. So he goes to his parents' home and he's having chocolate cake with his dad. Yeah. Something on your mind. You never told me you felt pressure. 
you know, um, I finishing a book. Oh, are you kidding? And his dad sees there's something wrong with him, and it looks like he's about to admit yeah. what he did, but then he doesn't. He said, oh, it's, I'm having issues with writing the book. Later on in the movie, Charlie goes to his dad's classroom. All you have to the do... The problem is, Dad, is it seems I was one of those frauds. What, what do you mean? They gave me the answers. They gave you the answers? They gave you the answers? Well, no, no. At first, they just asked me questions they already knew I knew the answers to. We ran through those, and I still didn't want them to actually give me the answers, so I had them give me the questions. And I'd go look up the answers on my own, as if that were any different. Well, we, we ran through those in a, a couple of weeks, and then I just didn't have the time. Finally, it just seemed silly, so... They gave you all that money to answer questions they knew you knew. Now, that's inflation. You're not being very helpful. I'm sorry, Charlie. I'm an old man. It's all a little difficult for me to comprehend. It's television, Dad. It's, look, it's, it's, just, it's just television. You make it sound like you didn't have a choice. What was I supposed to do at that point? Disillusion the whole goddamn country? Charlie, you took the money. Yes, I know. Yeah, I took the money. Is that what this was about? No. No, I, no, I don't know. It was a goddamn quiz show, Charlie. An ill-favored thing, sir. This is not the time to play games. That mine own. It was mine. Your name is mine. And that's where it's like, hey, there's this, yeah, this whole and, thing is brewing up. And and uh, they shot that in such a great way. Yes. Because instead of sitting there next to him, he's sitting 10 rows into As, an auditorium. Like a student. Yeah. And there was always this thing with Charlie and his dad where he always needed his dad's, yes. like, approval dad look the whole television thing when well, you bought him a that, television that, uh, you mentioned it but yes. my, my last best scene is the last what i call the last supper i think i can't understand the concept of taxes at this level it's a bit more complicated and at my level never thought of myself having a level charlie what level might that be i mean it's not as if the money fell under my lap i worked for it work oh millions of people watch the game shows dad then I suppose we've become a nation of proctors. Mark. Help me out here, Harvard. Uh, claim victory and depart the field. Of course, we don't have a television. Why on earth would we need a television? How much money is it again? What? What? They don't have a television. You haven't seen the show? We were supposed to watch it the other night at Thurber's. Even Thurber has a television and he's blind. What? How, how much is it now, Charlie? $122,000. Herb tells Dick about the show being fixed. Dick goes to Connecticut to have dinner with the Van Dorans, which yes. he's going to investigate, but as you said, he very much enjoys it. He does. He goes and sits with him at the table. Charlie discusses in front of his family that his winnings are up to $122,000. And his dad has no idea because they don't his, have a television. They don't have a television. His dad, he's looking for his dad's approval, but it's like his dad doesn't care. But then he buys his dad a, a television, which leads, parlays to another scene when you think that his dad even knows because his dad watches him on the show and they ask him a question it's a, a multifaceted question these questions are not like jeopardy questions no. they are or i'm sorry jeopardy answers yes but they're not straightforward they're the higher like, up you go between there's one to 11 points yeah. if you get up to your like 10 11 you need like three separate there's like answers one about charles revere's neighbor yeah if his horse was a mare or a stallion like but his dad is watching and you can kind of see his dad say like no one could know that. And he turns it off because he's he like, turns it too off. nerve-wracking. Right. He turns it off because he's like, no one could know that. So it's almost like you're waiting for his dad to be like, 
right. Yeah. <laughs> no one could know that. They're giving him the answers. Plus, the one thing, too, and it leads to my next scene, during that whole family dinner, as much as Charlie has this crisis of confidence of what's right and where it's wrong, he loves the attention. There's one little scene where he shows up at his job, which is at Columbia, and he tells his driver, hold on, I got to tie my shoe real quick. Yes. He waits for all the students to, to come out, yes. then he walks in. Yeah. He loves it. But that's not the scene. When he's at that dinner with his family and his dad brings up the Belgian king, King Baudouin. Charlie's famous, like Elvis Presley. I'm like Leopold of Belgium, usurped by his son before his time. I suppose that makes me King Baudouin. Charlie knew it without, you know, hesitation. Go forward into the movie. His question to win the episode is he needs to name three European kings. He's like, I'll answer the third one last. And that ends up being who is the king of Belgium? Yeah. Charlie has no idea that Dick is in the studio watching him and he sees Charlie struggling with the answer. And you could see the look. He knows this and he throws it. Professor, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to ask for your answer. Seems like an easy one. Leopold. No. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Charlie. The answer is Baudouin, King Baudouin. Leopold is Baudouin's father, the former king. And after he throws it, he has this small smile. And that ends up giving Dick everything he needed to know that he just threw this. But even still, he still doesn't want to take down Van Doren. He, he goes doesn't. to Van Doren's new house. Yeah. And he they're having coffee and he basically tells it. He's like, admit it to me. Yeah. Man to man, tell me you got the answers. Don't make me call you. Get out of town. Yes. Leave. Yes. Just tell me. And he still won't admit it. Yeah. We find out later. He didn't want to. He subpoenas him. And, and I that think that's test- that thing with his wife. And that testimony that scene where it's a very wax poetic apology it's great which is so good and that's the actual apology that the actual charles van doren gave to congress you can very much tell he's a writer i have deceived my friends and i have millions of them i lied to the american people i lied about what i knew and then I lied about what I did not know. In a sense, I was like a child who refuses to admit a fact in the hope that it'll go away. Of course, it did not go away. I was scared. Scared to death. Yes, very much so. But... You just see his world crumble around him because he yes. feels vindicated at first when all the senators are like, we thank you for being this brave. And then that one guy <laughs> shuts him down. He's like, why the hell should I clap for you? Yeah. I'm also from New York, a different part of New York. I'm happy that you made the statement, but I cannot agree with most of my colleagues. See, I don't think an adult of your intelligence ought to be commended for simply at long last telling the truth. And you just see his world crumble. Yeah, it's like you're being applauded for admitting all the wrongdoing. Yeah. And, but it's it's funny, the juxtaposition between Van Doren's very calculated letter that he writes, Herb, who Herb is like a comedian. He loves it. Everybody's laughing. He's got the, the audience in stitches. There, there's the lip biting. 
Yes, we see. Finally, I was told to uh, open my eyes and with a dazzling smile, give the answer and explode when Jack Barry says that is right. The Emporia Gazette? That is right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where he got it all. Some article on mass psychology he read in Esquire. <laughs> <laughs> but what ruins it for him is, did you have any therapy, Mr. Stemple? Yes. And then you see people start filing out. Well, Enright yeah. told he was still stringing Herb along. Big time, because he was keeping records of him paying for his therapy yeah, bills Enright and checks. Yeah, paid for Herb, because he's like, Herb, you're under a lot of stress. Go see this guy. I'll, yeah. I'll pay for all of it or whatever. Yeah. And then they saved the receipts so that his credibility was shot yeah. on the stand. So. And then Enright made that tape of Herb flipping out on him, yeah. but adding stuff to Which it. Which is super weird, because yeah. that's like uh, going back to Bonfire of the Vanities. It's like <laughs> yeah. an inadmissible, yeah. illegal recording. <laughs> exactly. All right. With that said, our first pool check of season nine. Everybody, get out of the pool, Jack Barry. We know the the Van Dorans had a beautiful swimming pool. They had a beautiful swimming pool. They probably also had a mountain, which is appropriate because our pool check, Mount Rushmore of game shows. Now, I specifically wanted to do Mount Rushmore and not just our picks because I wanted Difficult. to see if how closely they align. Now, I, I'm guessing two of ours will be the same. Two will be different. Okay. I wonder. You go first. Jeopardy. Not on mine. Are you kidding me? Nope. Oh my God, then I'm wrong. NBC from 1964 to 1979, and then reborn 1984 to present. Most famous. It's the game show. It is the game show. It has to be on Mount Rushmore. See, here's the thing. I, I hear this. I tried to, I deep dived into my Mount Rushmore because I didn't want Montrose on there. I did. I, listen, don't get me started about Montrose. I wanted to do stuff that stuck out to me growing up as a kid and what's held on to me. My first head is Supermarket Sweep. Okay, that's fair. Supermarket Sweep, I still watch to this day. I, I watch it with my dad. I love it. I literally have it as my first omission. Yes. Because, and that's omission, not emission. I'm not. <laughs> coming to uh anyway um, Are you veer yeah supermarket suite totally valid david ruprecht i mean yeah, come on i it kind of reinvented because supermarket sweep one is rebooted exists now yep and two guys grocery games which is a fantastic show is essentially an homage an homage to supermarket yes sweep. it is number two price is right not on mine oh my god no nope. how could you do a mount rushmore of game shows without Price is Right and Jeopardy. Because I thought A, it would be too obvious, and B, we would That's we would the share. point of Mount Rushmore. The mind's a different That's Mount like Rushmore. That's like doing a, a, a Mount Rushmore of presidents again and being like, eh, we're going to put on, you Instead know. Of Washington, I'm using Adams. Yeah, exactly. Like, weird. Price is Right in some form from 1972 to present. They switched it between, it used to be on night. It was. And then. And then in 72, it became the new Price is Right. Then it just became. But the then it became right. what we all knew and loved. Staying home from school. Yeah, at 11 o'clock. Price is Right when you're supposed to be at school. I have good times with Price is Right. But my next one is a different type of game show. I'm going with the American Gladiators at number two. Okay. So technically it's a game show. It's a physical game show. I'll allow it. So it's doubled there. So Yeah, which is also on my Mount Rushmore. Oh, okay. <laughs> Just because those two shows growing up for me, gladiatorial combat, being able to do cool things and it's a game it's a physical game it's not question based and double dare i learned a ton about random shit growing up as a kid 
from Double Dare. Double Dare to me is definitely valid because it is a game show for a more profitable demographic. It is. Yeah. You know, a lot of these other game shows... Price is Right, that's old people stuff. It is. I love Price is Right, yeah. but like that is for old people. That is for grandmas. But Double Dare is Double a kid. Double Dare, yes. Even though I really wanted to see the physical challenge, I'm still learning shit. I mean, you could you could go Legends of the Hidden Temple. You yeah, could go Guts. M- MTV Remote Control. That's true. My next is Family Feud. On and off since 1976, hosted by Richard Dawson, Ray Combs, Louis Anderson, Richard Karn. John O'Hurley, I don't even know who that is. John O'Hurley, he played Jay Peterman in Seinfeld. I'm Jay Peterman. Okay. And, pre- oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I do know. And presently, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. I put Steve Harvey right next to Richard Dawson. Yeah. So, yeah, Family Feud, great one. And then finally, I have one, probably not deserving, but I kind of went with your angle, which is like what I remembered as a kid and what I liked as a kid. It's fucking pressure luck. That's so good. Big money, no whammies. Weirdly, 1983 to 1986. Which it's crazy because I feel like it was on for 15 years. The guy, the scandal, the pressure yes, luck scandal. Yeah. Once again, another thing with the scandal. I always thought Peter Tamarkin was a great game show yeah, host. I loved him. And then apparently pressure luck has a current version. The ABC does like a, a primetime lineup. I think Elizabeth Banks. It is Elizabeth Banks. But do they have like CGI whammies? I'm now? pretty sure they do. I mean, for a longest time on the game show network, they just had a show called Whammy. And okay. it was pressure luck, but they just called it Whammy. Yeah. When I was single and used to go out to bars, this isn't a true story at all. When I was single, <laughs> I used to go out the bars. I used to say, big titties, no whammies. Stop! Stop! <laughs> no, that wasn't. Ooh, whammy. My last one, you mentioned it briefly, remote control. Why is it remote control? Remote control is the most underrated game show. It was on like late night MTV. It was awesome. But I can remember, and I still own it to this day. I had it on the Commodore 64, and that's all I ever played. I learned so much pop culture from friggin' remote control. It's where I saw Adam Sandler for the first time. It's where I saw Kari Wurr for the first time. God. And MTV got into the uh, game show space for a while. Yeah, they did. Singled out. Did it singled out to the idiot savants? Yeah. yeah, they did a lot of good stuff. All right, so let's, uh, that's all yours. Let's go through yep. honorable mentions. Classic concentration. Hollywood Squares. That's on mine too. Wheel of Fortune, very surprising. Alex Trebek hosted a show before Jeopardy called Double Dare. Oh. And it was more of a question-based show, sort of like Jeopardy. But yeah, I love Double Dare. Check that out. Let's make a deal. Let's have the Richard Dawson hosted family few love connection please two and two be right back at you speaking of which chuck woolery scrabble uh the dating game weirdly remembered for having <laughs> serial killer rodney alcala as a contestant fucking when you showed me that before the show i had no idea it already killed lots of women by the point he was on the show and dating game was bizarre everything about it was so performative and bizarre the best version of dating game is the one in mall rats yeah <laughs> which is like ridiculous but anyway match game weakest link deal or no deal I really like Win Ben Stein's money. That was really good. I thought that was ahead of its time. I liked Win Ben Stein. Uh, Beat the Geeks. That's a good one. Pyramid, which was the $25,000 pyramid. pyramid. Yes. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Sale of the Century. And one that's fascinating to me, Win, Lose, or Draw. That's a great one. Win, Bert Convy. That's awesome. And here's one for being video game guys like you and I are, Starcade, the arcade game show that I showed my dad for the first time last night, and he was fixated Remember by how it. bad video game like game shows were, like the games? Yeah. It was so hard. Like Jeopardy, was, you had to type in the answer. It was so ridiculous. It took like a half hour. Yeah, exactly. Well, it took uh, a half hour just for the fucking game to load. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, The Running Man. 
No, not really. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Come on, damn it. Yeah, now with reality and competition, like, I don't know what you consider, like, a game show. Like, would you consider, like, Naked and Afraid a game show? That show is so weird to me. It's very strange, but I love it. But, uh, like, would you consider it a game show? No. One of my favorites, Forged in Fire. I thought you were going to say Survivor. I would call that a reality competition show. Yes. Or Survivor. Yeah, that's reality I call comp. these reality competitions. Real not, World World Rules Challenge. Yeah, not game shows. Uh, yeah. The... Weirdly enough, the game shows that still exist are either ones that still existed from the 60s and 70s days, yeah. or they have like the game show network. Yeah. And if you ever watch it, there's like all these new game shows that are basically a wink and a nod to the classic yes, version. And the funny thing about those shows is always like, well, Sandy, you've went home with $1,000. Yeah. It's like insulting. I love like if you watch old match game. The final round are like, you can win up to $500. Yeah. And then you've got ones like uh, The Wall. There's the one that's essentially just like all Plinko. Yeah, it's all it is. Yeah. I used to like the one, one versus 100. That was freaking great. And then they tied it into the Xbox Live, which I used to play that all the yeah, time. Yeah, one versus 100 was Bob Saget. really fun. Yeah, really fun. It I was really good. One, so, all right. Well, we're having uh, tea and crumpets with the Van Dorans. It's time to get back in the pool. Everybody back in the pool. What's the special? It's the Reuben. Uh, Reuben sandwich is the only entirely invented sandwich. Won the national sandwich contest two years ago. A salient point. Who invented it? Uh, Reuben K. At a poker game in Omaha. I knew there was a K in Nebraska. Uh, unfortunately, they have the sandwich here, but uh, I don't seem to have any Reubens. Touche. All right, I've got two critical questions. Uh, quick and easy first one. Best game show host. Ooh. Yeah, I guess you would have to go Trebek. You go Trebek. It has to be Trebek. And second, with our 1994 Best Picture nominees, Tim Robbins was in Shawshank Redemption, considered for Forrest Gump, which we learned on our Shawshank episode, and we learned he was originally attached to this. So, is this a better or worse movie with Tim Robbins? I think... He plays a better in real life looking Charles Van Doren. But watching the episode with actual Charles Van Doren, I think it makes more sense if it was Tim Robbins. Yeah. I just think there would have been more a hell of a conflict because it'd be Tim Robbins in Quiz Show, Tim Robbins in Shawshank Redemption. Well, yeah, maybe. So I think Tim Robbins in this would be better than Ray Fiennes, but no net gain as far as it being a better movie. No, but... I have it in a universe where if he picked this, then he didn't do Shawshank, and then that becomes exponentially worse. Unless, going back to the Shawshank, we get the whole thing where then Tom Hanks would have played in Shawshank, yep. and then Sean Penn in Forrest Gump. And I thought Ray Fiennes was tremendous, yeah. but it's amazing. Ray Fiennes, a tremendous English actor. Harry the, Potter. <laughs> his dad in this movie, English actor. Yeah. There's a lot of English actors in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, also, I swear, if we find out at the beginning of next season that he was considered for Hugh Grant's role in Four Weddings and a Funeral, <laughs> well, I don't know what I'll do. This fucking world will end. Tim Robbins apparently was considered for every 1994 movie. Yes. I researched this real quick before the show. He was actually in line to be the lead actor for Kindergarten Cop 2, but it went to Dolph Lundgren. No way. Jonathan that can't Shen. be real. No, it's not. It's I was going to say, that can't be real. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, we're going to find out Tim Robbins was considered for the mask and Dumb and Dumber and <laughs> Wait, Clerks. I was going to say, which mask? Rocky Dennis no. or Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey. He was in the army now instead of Pauly Shore. It was going to be him, but he, Vin Diesel got it for Fast Rav and Furious. Instead of Dennis Leary. <laughs> He's a Wagons East. He's a Major League. Actually, Major League Two in 94. And Major League Back to the Minors. He was 
he was uh, Rex and Airheads. I mean, like he was the dinosaur in Jurassic Park. City Slickers and Cabin Boy. <laughs> just all Tim Robbins. Son-in-law. Yeah, all Tim Robbins. All right. Well, someone who definitely was not considered for the role of Charles Van Doren was David McCall. Hey, I could be Charlie Van Doren too. Hey, I got twenty-one. It all could have been different, Mister Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. Want to play 21? We'll play 22, okay? You want to play blackjack? I got one of those, too. <laughs> Jake the Snake, everybody. Logic. Let's, uh, I'm not sure how it's, I want to explain or describe this. It's a difficult way to form it, too, because I had an interesting time with that. Like, for instance. Well, it's separating the real events and the logic of the real events. To the and, dramatizations. And the, yes, and then separating them taking liberties on a true story is not really logic. No. So so I, I guess we would call this liberties. Well, maybe. I'll go first. Okay. And again, I'm not sure how I want to explain or describe this, but Enright's arrogance. So does he think he's untouchable or does he just think he has like total control over Herb? Because he's not careful in any way no, he's concerning Herb revealing that the show is fixed. And I don't know the whole story, but I'm guessing Herb was not the first contestant who ever accepted answers. He wasn't or was given questions or whatever. So he just like leaves it all out there. He even does like the whole deal with like, they, they don't call it therapy, but like the- They call it his analyst. Yeah, his, his psychoanalyst, because he's confident that that's his smoking gun. Like he has this whole scenario and essentially he's right. Yeah. He's like, no matter what this guy says, I'm safe. Well, Scorsese in that one scene he had- Oh my God. With that, Dick Goodwin. Let's mention that scene because we didn't in best scenes. It's tremendous. Young man, the ratings went up at the same contestant came back week after week. There was only one way for that to happen. You had to know that. Young man, I sell over $14 million a year worth of Geritol. Geritol, that's the kind of businessman I am. That show 21 cost me $3.5 million year in, year out. Sales went up 50% when Van Doren was on. 50%. So the very idea that I was unaware of every detail or aspect of that show's operation Frankly, it's it's very insulting. So you know. That's even more insulting. You had to know. That's what you this just said. This is not about what I know. It's about what you know. You don't know what I know. You know that Dan Enright ran a crooked quiz show. Well, he never informed you. Did he? Let's <sighs> see what he says. Dan? Look, Dan Enright wants a future in television, okay? Which you have to understand is that the public has a very short memory. But corporations, they never forget. He's not that stupid. He knows he's through. No, no he'll be back. NBC is going to go on. Geritol's going to go on. Makes me wonder what you hope to accomplish with all this. I got you red-handed. He's like, listen, the president of NBC, it's nothing's going to happen to him. Nothing's going to happen to television. Nothing's going to happen to the company. Dan Enright, they can both take the fall, but then they'll be back in TV in five years. And the weird thing is, he was right because Jack Barry and Dan Enright ended up co-creating the Joker's wild. They both took the fall in five years. Nobody gave a shit. They came out clean. Yeah, it exactly. didn't matter. No. And television survived. The chairman of NBC survived. Only person that didn't was Charles Van Doren. Yes. And Herb. Which, yeah. But, but that scene. But Herb kind of was partially self-inflicted because he yeah. with the bookie. Next, how and why does Van Doren continue to teach at Columbia? I have no idea. I think it's just 
Because those kids idolized him. They are. He's making, because he tells them how much do you get paid at Columbia? $82 a week. It's something like that. $82 a week. And they're like, do you know how much Bozo the Clown makes? Yeah. And he's like, well, we can't all be Bozo the Clown. Yeah. He continues to teach at Columbia. And I think part of that is that paternal worship he has of his dad. Well, for instance, when before Charlie got on Quiz Show, they showed that scene of him in his class or sporadic students. When everything starts going and the machine's turning, he has standing room only in that classroom. When he's talking to Dick Goodwin in his office, the girls barge into his room and he's like, Dick, we got to talk about this later. He loves it. Yeah. He wants it in real life versus the movie. So the actual episode of 21 that took place in 1958 between Van Dorn and Stemple, the first game actually ended in a 21-21 tie. The best picture question didn't really tie into the final factor of that game. In real life, they went into a tiebreaker game where Van Dorn ended up having an 18-10 lead. And right before you get to the top tier of the end of the game, Jack Barry's like, Gentlemen, I'm going to caution you now not to divulge your scores because you can hear each other. We're at the point now where you get a chance to stop the game. If either of you stops the game, whoever has the high score wins. So be very, very careful. I'm going to give you some time and I'll tell you when your time is up. If either player stops the game right now, Mr. Van Doren, who is eight points ahead at $2,500 a point, will win back $20,000 from Herb Stemple. But he doesn't know it because they don't know each other's scores. Let's see what happens. If either of you want to stop the game, you must tell me so right now. I'll stop. Then you win $20,000. Congratulations, Mr. Van Doren. Van Dorn wins 18 to 10. Yeah. So they changed it up in the movie a little bit for dramatic effect, yeah. which is fine. How stressful is that live television back then where it's like you continue on the next episode, I guess. It's live. Yeah. We're live, pal. Yeah. And uh, they had to condense this to make it fit. Well, and the thing I find more fascinating when it comes to like a, like a psychoanalytic type point of view is in real life, like you said, it took place over three years. Van Doren was getting his insides eaten up, knowing what he knew for three whole years before he came clean in 59 or 61, whatever it was. Another logic issue I have, which is probably my biggest one, Herb's anger is misdirected at Charlie Van Doren. Oh, big time. He blames Charlie for everything going astray when it was completely Enright and his cohorts. But maybe Enright has Herb brainwashed a bit because Herb still thinks that Enright's going to parlay their deal into an NBA an NBC panel. NBA. Not an NBA. <laughs> hey, Herb. You want to be a Stemple, player? Do you want to play for the uh, Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah. It's fascinating because there's a lot of subtext in this movie because well-made movies have subtext they don't beat you over the head exactly exposition so it's like herb thinks van doren took all this away from him yeah when in reality it was the producers but every time he goes to the producers they convince him of something else this is where i think the in real life in the fiction universe blend because like i said earlier watching that documentary they made Herb Stemple up to look like that yeah. on TV. That's not what he really looked like in real life, even though in the movie, that's kind of what they kept him portrayed as. He turns on Van Dorn within the movie because he has the good looks. He has the money. He has the girls. He has the adulation. Meanwhile, Herb Stemple goes back to his like normal middle-class home in Queens, dealing with a son that wants to play drums and he's not very good. Yeah. And a wife that doesn't really seem that interested in what he's doing. Yeah. So not really logic, but now 60 years later, this all feels like enormous wasted efforts to me. Television's now 
entertainment at all costs. But the government was like stepping in to say, no, it must be legit. Why would the government care about regulating a television game show? Doesn't make sense. And you even find out even in 1958 or 1961, whatever it was, really Goodwin finds out that answer. They don't care. The government doesn't care. As long as someone fell for it, in this case, Van Doren, it would have been a worse net result for the network to get brought down. I think it's a different era just because there was still a shred of like moral integrity that people thought everything had to be upstanding and on the level because listen, you work nine to five during the week, you come home, you eat dinner with your family, you go to church on Sunday. It's a constant routine. It needs, you don't need disruption in that routine because it's chaotic. Okay. Here's a question and I'll put this in other terms, but first, do you care if a competition show is fixed or are you there for entertainment? I would be pissed if I found out the Jeopardy was fixed. Yeah. Because I'm like, fuck. It has to be the amount of time you've put into something versus the return you get from that thing you put that amount of time in. Now, like, if Jeopardy, if they came out and said, listen, these people got the, Ken Jennings got the answers before, I'd have been like, fuck, man. We looked up to Alex Trebek. He's on our wall. Could you imagine if you found out that Alex Trebek was part of the biggest quiz scandal of all time? He might have. You don't know. But I would be wrecked. A show like American Idol. Fuck that show i i used to love it a lot of people watch it and still watch it american idols fine print literally says you know ryan seacrest telling you call in vote vote for american idol yeah their fine print literally says we're gonna pick whoever we want to pick exactly we don't care about the votes. The votes, we'll consider them. But we don't care. Full disclosure, I used to watch American Idol religiously. I used to be the guy that would call in and vote. It's because you auditioned and didn't get it, right? Didn't get it. I tried. The fourth season, when John Stevens the fourth, Oh, my God. The redhead kid that could croon. Yeah. The kid had such a good voice. He sang Crocodile Rock and absolutely botched it. Sounded great to me. However, I was like, if he does not win American Idol, I'm done with this show. You're crazy. And then fucking Sanjay, that motherfucker, seemed to just, the running joke was, and that lost everything for that show for me, and I stopped. I wonder if that had to do with, because do you remember Jasmine Trius? Yes. This is a crazy tangent. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jasmine Trias was from Hawaii. Yeah, I remember that. And she was getting massive amount of votes from Hawaii, and they were keeping her on the show. Did her or Sanjay or whoever else deserve to be Sorry, there? Sanjaya. Sanjaya, there you go, yeah. over other people? Hard to say. So now I think they've went, okay, vote, that's fine. We'll consider who the audience yeah. likes. It gives us an idea of who the audience likes. Hey, I voted for Ruben. He He's sorry for 2004. Has been forever. To put this in other terms that we can relate to maybe better, think about wrestling. So Dr. David Schultz slaps John Stossel in 1984 for suggesting that wrestling is fake. It wasn't official until 1997 during the steroid trial when Vince McMahon admitted he didn't explicitly say wrestling's fake. He said it's not a sport. So he admitted it wasn't a sport. I gave up wrestling for a long time when I found out that it was scripted. It devastated me. Okay, so yeah. see. But I was a kid, though. I was more naive. But why? This goes back to the argument. Because uh, it was real to me, damn it. But Avengers or... Avengers? Any movie you watch. Yeah. Not real. Oh, yeah, it's a movie. So then what is the difference? I, As a kid growing up, I didn't realize that I was watching an action soap opera. I had no idea. I thought it was a physical sport. Like it was real. But what's the, why does it matter? I don't know. It just doesn't matter. It just does. It's the same with quiz show. 21. If somebody is winning 
and you're entertained, then what does it matter if it's fixed? Yeah, it's true. Now wrestling is exposed on TV. Like the business is exposed every single week and that's totally fine. Yeah. It should look like a fight. It should be safe to the performers, but it's like an action movie. You know, it can be scripted. It's not any less enjoyable. Imagine if Herb slapped Van Doren. <laughs> Get the government out of my television. <laughs> All right, what's the legacy of this movie? Again, it's hard to say. The legacy of the movie itself, I told you before we recorded, Quiz Show probably would be nominated for Best Picture in any year, but I don't think it would have won in any year. I, yeah. I just, it's a good movie. It's not a Best Picture winner. I think it helps that it was based on the true story. Yeah. The Quiz Show scandals. Now, if you like this movie or this type of movie, I cannot suggest the big short enough. So it's like a modern version of this type of movie being that it's it's based on a true story. It's about something else entirely, but there are like so many similarities and I won't spoil them. But if you like Quiz Show, go watch The Big Short easily in my top 10 favorite it's about movies Martin of all time. Short. It is. It's, it's big <laughs> Martin Short. I also, just like when Shane showed up here and he did the Lost Boys episode with us, I do have merch when it comes to this actual game show. I have the official 21 board game. Jack Barry on it and everything. Okay. It's really elaborate. I thought you were going to say you had like a satin jacket for Quiz Show the movie, <laughs> like one of those promotional items. Yeah, I have like, the sweet. actual in-ring gear an, of I, Charles Van Dorn. I have a uh, a Jack Berry pop vinyl. <laughs> A Herb Stemple poster. Uh, yes. All right. Stick around for some plugs. Every year from east and west, from north and south, more people come out to see the new Chevrolet than any other car. But this year tops every other year. And no wonder the 56 Chevrolet's motoramic styling is more beautiful than ever. In design, it's the future right now. It's packed with special features, like this concealed gasoline filler, ultra-modern rear fenders and a longer, more rakish hood. This new 56 Chevrolet looks lively and acts lively. Yes, the hot one's even hotter. You get a new kind of performance for safer, easier passing. You get 205 horsepower with a super turbo fire V8 that set a new Pikes Peak record. Chevrolet for 56 combines record-setting performance with the clean, modern lines that spell tomorrow. You'll lose your heart to this beauty when you see it at your Chevrolet dealer. Pool Sceners, once again, thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of the Pool Scene Podcast. And as always, like, comment, subscribe, rate, and follow Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Smash that like button with unbridled enthusiasm and make sure you spread the word of the Pool Scene Podcast to one and all. Go over to Facebook at Pool Scene Podcast. Join the Pool Sceners group. You guys want to win some free stuff? Maybe make a suggestion about an episode or two? Let us know. Join today. Instagram at Pool Scene Podcast and TikTok. We're trendy with the kids, y'all, at Pool Scene Pod One. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. And now back to Kevin. Final lap guy. Yeah! The final lap! So we had a. 
an F1 talk a little bit on uh, pre-record. We, uh, I asked you a bunch of questions because I don't understand it at all. Yeah, fascinating. Jim, what do you got for uh, Final Lap? Well, speaking of F1, they announced that they're coming to Vegas next year in 2023. Go to Vegas. They're going to be racing on the Las Vegas Strip, 10 p.m. local Vegas time on a Saturday night. That is going to be awesome to watch. I do not understand the logistics. It's crazy. There's a track set up if you guys want to check out how the track's going to end up looking. It's ridiculous. I just don't know how they can keep pedestrians off the street. They're going to be going down the Las Vegas Strip at 200 miles an hour as they're passing Caesars, the Eiffel Tower, Liberty, Coasters, everything. I mean, I guess the hotels, the trade-off is that they will charge extra for the room. Packages. They'll pack the rooms. They'll pack the hotels. And that gives you access to the street level, maybe. You have to remember, you have people coming in from around the world. Because people go to Vegas all the time. I'm sure there's like going to be bachelorette parties who are going to go have to party at uh off the strip at you know the uh mob uh the mafia museum or something yeah because they can't get to the strip i I don't know it's it's going to be super fascinating to see (laughs) it's going to be fun to watch this past weekend not that long ago kevin and i would be so jazzed about uh wrestlemania weekend god the wwe is just such a hit or miss product anymore more miss than hit it is just such a slog but here you go so you (sighs) you are you are mad enough about it that you're talking about it on our podcast (laughs) but then you live tweeted like 19 hours of wwe programming you could be like me who just i'm a glutton for punishment i I did not tune in for a second of it yeah i'm a glutton i the only thing i miss i love Sami Zayn. i would have liked johnny knoxville uh, yeah and the the jackass match but other than that i can ingest what i want to ingest on twitter and just get uh highlights of anything i want to see and I, i i could not imagine spending a couple thousand dollars seeing wrestlemania over two nights that's over eight hours and it's just like holy shit that's why it's like i'm glad i can like either watch it or just kind of actively watch or do something else I put have, on the background i have so many problems with wwe as a company when you look at yeah. the saudi blood money yeah big time when you look at the budget cut releases exactly when you look at you know ver- that's versus their profitability yeah questionable business practices personal acts by you have talents yeah you have them you know praising and pushing certain people while other people get punished for the same thing i mean i i have a number of reasons to be very disappointed with their product and stuff and you know maybe more than anything is i think I could be wrong, but um, so when you're in WWE, it's always the uh, WrestleMania payday. Oh, big time. These dudes make as much in one night as they do the rest of the year, if not more, for their share of the WrestleMania gate and stuff. So they spread, the, the show used to just be a three-hour show, and <laughs> then a four-hour show. Then and a seven-hour show. And now it's two seven-hour shows. But there should not be any universe where you're cutting matches yeah or you have champions who are not on the show exactly i am not opposed to bringing in logan paul johnny knoxville snooki did tremendously well uh, mr t whoever you know whoever these these celebrities they bring in that's fine bring in the celebrities get eyeballs on the product great yeah but do not cut your champions do not cut other matches for or it also doesn't help them when the chairman of the company decides to give himself 
himself his own spot and do something that's absolutely beyond the pile of ridiculous. Yeah. Fuck. So, yeah, I did not watch a second. I'm totally at peace with that. I haven't watched their Better program. wrestling on tonight anyways. Yes. You know, quickly, a funny thing. Speaking of companies changing and insulting the audience. Now, some would say if you're going to go to a movie theater and you're going to spend what? 10 plus dollars a ticket, $15 a ticket. If you buy popcorn, a drink, you know, you might spend $50 at the movie. Yeah. And so you would think, okay, if I'm going to spend $50 to be at the movies, I should be there longer. Every movie is two and a half to three hours now. Yeah. So on SNL, they did a pre-taped skit with Pete Davidson and the whole premise was, and he was with Gunna and Chris Red, and they brought in Dirt Nasty himself, Simon Rex. The whole skit was, I love short movies. And the whole thing was like, they named a bunch of movies. I would recommend go find it on YouTube or, or watch a rerun to see the skit. So the whole thing is I love short ass movies and they name drop all these movies that are like an hour 15, an hour 20, an hour 40. Yeah. Because I love movies. I, I yeah, seriously, like, we have a movie podcast. Yeah, for God's sake. I love, like I watch bad movies and good yep. movies and like I watch every movie ever, but I can't with the three hour movies. It's re- it takes up so much time. You have to at hour age you have to plan this shit knowing that you work till five o'clock if you're gonna put into a three-hour movie you gotta watch a three-hour movie try to stay awake and you're in bed by nine yeah that's why you know we talked about the batman which you know we wanted to see in theaters or whatever i can't do it three hours hours, so it's gonna drop on tv i'll watch it on tv if i have to watch it in two parts i will that's fine if i have to but i can pause and take a little break and go get a drink or go to the bathroom whatever i need to do i'm i'm with pete davidson i love short ass movies yeah. i don't need you know give me like we just talked about uh i don't even remember chopping mall yeah. we were talking about chopping mall earlier chopping mall is like an hour 15 boom amazing perfectly digestible i get you know get to watch my hour 15 and then move on why can't there be a best picture movie that it's 90 minutes why right, right. i mean if anything i think that's more challenging see that's a thing that always happened too is like we equated length with quality better movies yeah. so like braveheart the postman dan Tight- the wolves titanic titanic's perfect with two vhs yeah but it doesn't have to be that way no so and i'm one of the few people that actually love the movie the postman but even when i watch it i'm like oh fuck this is i got three hours on this one and they really could have summed this thing up El Postino. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to mention? Not much. Welcome to season nine. Next week, everybody, we're going to have a member of the Youngstown Comedy Syndicate on, a new member, and we're going to cover one of his favorite movies next week. So it's going to be a fun one to watch and to listen to. All right. Well, until then, Silencia. Even the quiz shows will be back. Why fix them? Think about it. You could do exactly the same thing by just making the questions easier. See, the audience didn't tune in to watch some amazing display of intellectual ability. They just wanted to watch the money.